Aloha. It's Jeremy Vaney. It's Wise Ask. I'm uh, doing this uh, itty-bitty live feed because I said I would. <laughs> uh, I said I would do it before I did it for um, my formal podcast, Our Undoing Radio, um, a, a bit on Kundalini. Um, but I already recorded that. But now I feel like, okay, I need to do this because I said I would. So here I am doing that. Uh, what am I doing? Well, I, I guess I just want to talk a little bit about what Kundalini is not. And um, in doing that, we will perhaps see what Kundalini is. So what Kundalini is not. I don't know if you've ever seen um, any of those YouTube videos, those guru type people or shaman type people who uh, tell you that you control it, you can make it rise and fall. They maybe liken it to a serpent energy, which whatever that means, or they liken it to an uh, electricity, or they say the orgasm is a kundalini. Um, perhaps you've seen them, you know, there are videos of people moving their fingers like, like they're dangling marionettes over uh, men and women doing this over usually women uh, who are then lying on the floor next to them, palpitating as if their finger gestures are making them, you know, somehow orgasm or writhe with this joyful Kundalini. Um, you may have heard that it's evil. You may have heard that it's demon possession. You may have seen videos of evangelists and mega churches, um, falling over laughing hysterically because they can't help themselves because of some energy transfer from their minister, which is supposedly, uh, according to other church people who believe that that's evil, uh, the devil's work, the work of Kundalini. So what is all of that? And what does that have to do with Kundalini? And what the hell is Kundalini then? If not all of that, um, I mean, all of these people who claim that you can have symptoms of Kundalini, be they positive or negative, what does that even mean? Symptoms of Kundalini. Um, so the first thing you've got to know is that, and I should have looked it up for this because I talked about this on our undoing radio. Um, and I didn't look it up then either. So you'd think I'd be prepared at one point here, but, Oh, I'm lazier than all of that, but just look it up or take my word for this little, this much that the idea of Kundalini being a serpent energy was a metaphor when it was first spoken. It was not literal. And uh, people literally writhe around on the floor during Kundalini yoga sessions and claim that they're having Kundalini. So I think all of what I've just described breaks down into various categories of um, people lying for money, uh, people making stuff up to feel included in a sense of community, delusion, um, mistaken identity. Um, in the case of like the evangelical church stuff, that's permission in a repressive church to be chaotic and free, uh, to break the taboo. Um, there's all sorts of stuff going on in, in, in those sort of psychosomatic and Carney Barker directions. 
Um, but then there's also, I think that there is some legitimacy to uh, Kundalini rising and falling, Kundalini sort of coming alive on its own, or you controlling it, or whatever that is. Whatever the like authentic piece of that is, still isn't Kundalini. But that doesn't mean that it's a delusion in the sense that that I just described, or uh, a lie necessarily in the way that we just that I just described. Um, but it's more like there is, oh, by the way, I just saw that I misspelled Kundalini in my description. <laughs> so that's good. Hey, Kindalini, I think that's new for the Kindle. Uh, anyway, I digress. Sorry about that. I'll see if I can fix it later. If not, it'll just be funny. Um, so uh, Kundalini, in in the way that that is describing it, because it is described as an energy that that sits in the base of the spine. This seems to be one universally accepted definition, an energy that sits at the base of the spine. And when it comes alive, uh, you know, rises up through the chakras and, you know, ultimately, the, I guess the ideals were to sort of go to the crown chakra and then you have some universal experience uh, of universal onenessy stuff. Um, but... You know, I, I I certainly in our undoing radio, and I haven't released the episode yet. It'll be for next season, um, so you can't really go looking for it just yet. But I will explain this better and more thoroughly. But the essential gist of it is that which sits at the base of the spine is like this metaphor here <laughs> is like a blood clot. Blood needs to flow freely through the body, and we know the difference between circulatory. Blood and blood clot, right? But they're both blood. Well, um, a blood clot can be beneficial um, or it can be deadly. And so it is with Kundalini sitting at the base of the spine, this congealed sort of massive, what is essentially the self uh, in Kundalini. So the blockage is um, in service to you existing, the sense of self existing. Because when that blockage is not there, that base of the spine area reveals itself to be more of a gill, breathing in this universal energy that we're calling Kundalini. And when that energy is active, the sense of self is not active. So when that energy is active, it moves the body around. It does coordinated, intelligent maneuverings, yoga, things that you would associate with meditation, with Tai Chi, with whirling dervish twirls with common basic exercise, on and on and on. Uh, those all take place of their own accord, not from your will. You don't have to have any knowledge of them. The knowledge is inherent to the energy maneuvering you. And so when your will, when you are there blocking, you know, you're blocking it out. When you take control of the body again, um, then you're in control. So the idea that there is a sense of self, a you who moves it up and down the spine, who controls it consciously like that is false. It can't be. The two cannot coexist um, in quote unquote control of the body at the same time. They can both, I mean, I can uh, shut up for a second, allow this energy to take over and I'm still there in the background. You know, I'm just not moving the body. Um, 
So it's not as though one disappears and the other takes over, you know, and then you wake up and go, oh, my God, what did I do? <laughs> that doesn't happen. But it's either that I'm moving the body or Kundalini is moving the body. The two are not moving. They're not the same thing. And they're, they're not compatible in, in that way. So uh, this is why we talk about here on Wise Ask and our Undoing Radio, um, positive negation, getting rid of the sense of self, um, whittling down one's psychological baggage until you realize that you are that baggage, that, that there is no separation between your psychology and the things that you think are the content of your psychology. They are you. And, when, and furthermore, that you, ultimately, in this case, uh, is a seeker uh, looking for some sort of spiritual meaning or uh, movement in some way, some higher movement or meaning. And uh, when the brain understands that that sense of self and that seeker can't get to this ultimate, cannot do it, that the ultimate is... Well, just like Kundalini, it is timelessness. Um, it is universal. Uh, in well, it, let's go with timelessness. It's timelessness, and you are of time. The self is psychological time. The body, of course, is going through time and is comprised of you know stuff in time. All of you is time. <laughs> so, if you are to understand timelessness, unlike things that you learn. This is something that you do not learn. This is something that you either are or are not. So you are either a person doing stuff in time or the person is absent and therefore all of that doing is absent and one is being. What is one being? This formless awareness, this consciousness per se, spirit with a capital S, truth with a capital T, whatever you want to call it. And that consciousness, uh, which is you regardless, right? Like it transcends and includes you regardless. It's just that the self-awareness aspect of it uh, does not have to be you. You can just be you and go through life, do 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 Um, The consequence of that, of course, is that we're destroying the world and there won't be much more do 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 left to do 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 So that's a problem. But uh, <laughs> I guess there was a time when you could argue all is as it should be and blah, blah. But we're not living in that time anymore, folks. Uh, it's time to get this. Uh, it, there's the state of being in which truth comes alive as one sense of self and truth does uh, right action choicelessly through the body. Um, all of these are words. <laughs> and all of these words are just describing essentially kundalini, essentially right action in the body um, that are choiceless when you are out of the way, the time construct, psychology. So when the brain gets that, that you're a barrier to this, you dissolve. And in that moment of dissolution, you're gone, the blockage is gone, and kundalini flows through the body. It doesn't, like, shoot up through your spine and destroy, you know, all of this, like, drastic stuff that you hear. Um, because that drastic stuff is a product, again, of the blockage, which is more like a blood clot. It's like you, the sense of self is a block to that which you seek. And this is a blockage to Kundalini, which is also sort of that which you seek. Whether you know it or not, uh, it's at least a, you know, a repercussion of what you seek. 
is whether you understand what Kundalini is or not, it it's going to come alive. And when uh, the blockage is in place, that means that you're still there. And that means that psychological baggage is still there. And that means that the sense of you divorced from your psychological baggage, this sort of schizophrenia that we live in, is still there. So when the piece of the blockage that is actually Kundalini, because it's, you know, it's a clot, it's Kundalini congealed, but mixed with the self sort of. So when you try to make that rise and fall and you try to play with that, it's going to trigger you. It's going (laughs) because ultimately Kundalini is trying to come alive and make you healthy. And so it can't, the blockage can't do that at all, but the bit of it that wants to really is just constantly going to get funneled into um, not just your physical ailments and your psychic ailments, but your psychological ailments, your baggage. And that's why people report on, you know, the feeling hot and the cold and the crying and the, and it's constant. And they think that they're maybe because they can trigger this in some way, they think that maybe they're getting better or maybe it's doing something for them. And it's not, it's just constantly triggering them. And that's all it can do. Uh, so that's the difference. And so when when that blockage is no longer there and it's just free-flowing, it doesn't have any psychological baggage to burn through or to work you through or any of that. In my case, I mean, it does have whatever, you know, whatever you've neglected in your body through ignorance or miseducation or just laziness, whatever. In my case, probably all three, whatever physical ailments, um, it's going to try to correct. Uh, And not only that, but when it rises initially, if you're not in good shape, here's the irony. If you're not in good shape, like I wasn't, (laughs) it might blow out your back. It might slip a disc. It did with me. It slipped a disc. And I let that go and it got worse. And that's my fault. That's on me. But the initial disc slippage was this Kundalini. And the irony is, you know, if I had prepared for this, um, it wouldn't have happened, right? Like, so I wasn't expecting Kundalini. I wasn't expecting any of this to happen. I just simply, my brain literally got that the me, Jeremy, that it is projecting into the world is uh, still there, is the blockage to full understanding, to truth, to all of that, that like, that I had become this guy who understands all of this intellectually. And that person was in the way of authentically being that, which I understood intellectually. And when I fully understood that deep to my core, beyond my sense of self, I was shut off. I was, there was nothingness. Nothingness was the case. And that nothingness again is consciousness per se is its you know own energy. And it, Came alive in the body in my absence. And then I immediately was back again. <laughs> so now I'm Jeremy 2.0. It's me and this Kundalini energy. And if I shut up, it comes alive. Um, when, when I want to stop it, it I do. It, it, you know, But to say stop it, it's not forcing anything. It's simply just asserting my own sense of self again. And will. But... Because I had dissolved, again, there was no psychological stuff to work through, but I, I hadn't, I didn't 
know that Kundalini was even, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know this was going to happen. And so I'm just like some fat white American dude who, you know, doesn't exercise. I was living in New York at the time. It's like my exercise was like walking up and down five flights of stairs in my apartment. That was pretty much it. Um, so, sure, it would have helped to have done some yoga stretches beforehand, I suppose, or something. Uh, but, again, the irony that I keep forgetting to tell you is that to prepare for this in any way like that is to remain yourself. If I had known what was going to happen and if I had prepared for it, that would have been the, th- the thing blocking the actual from happening. That would have been my delusion of, like, I am preparing for something. I am trying to do something about this nothingness about this stopping all doing how does one stop all doing and be nothingness you can't because you are a doer you are thingness so once again the very organism that you are the brain the body has to get it uh to shut you up <laughs> and then you'll see that all of this youtube guru-y stuff of like oh here are some symptoms of kundalini you make it rise you make it fall you you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. No, that's all like Simon says stuff. That's all doing the hokey pokey. That ain't it. Um, and it's important because, you know, I mean, it's just funny to me that, that we look at any other species and if we saw any other species on the planet that wasn't fulfilling its own destiny, that wasn't its own sense of wholeness, but we could see what that wholeness was. We would talk about how unfortunate that is. Hell, we may even try to figure out a way to try to help them along, urge them along in their transformation. Um, But we don't do that with ourselves. We just kind of go, oh, what you're talking about is extraordinary. And what I'm experiencing is human nature. You know, all of these foibles and all of these several patterns of behavior that we explore through the arts over and over and over again, like broken records and to tell ourselves that we're all okay in the end, that that's human nature. That's okay. This other stuff is extraordinary. Well, what if that's wrong? What if the so-called extraordinary is simply the, the instantaneous transformation that must take place for us to survive ourselves. And on that note, I will leave you. Um, But if anyone wants to talk about this, I see that there are people watching or listening. If you would like to talk, um, I'm open. (laughs) Or if you just want to say hi. um, I guess, uh, like I said, I will go into it more in that hour and doing radio episodes. So wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, go ahead and sign up for that. Um, But I will say, and, and just since no one's jumping on the line here, uh, when last I left you, so I'm living on Mauna Loa, uh, on the big island of Hawaii, which is, uh, currently erupting. And normally when Mauna Loa erupts, it is known to erupt on more on my side of the island <laughs> where I live and also to be very fast moving lava, like within three hours to hit the ocean. And what it's doing now is it's all, it's like, uh, slow is anything. It's on the unpopulated side of the island. Um, I think across the street from where it hasn't even hit the highway yet, 
Uh, there might be one, there's one farm somewhere around there. That's it. Uh, so pretty incredible that this is slow moving, that this, we won the lottery, it went to the other side. But also, apparently, Maloa erupts like every 15 years or so, and it hasn't erupted for about 40 years. So you would think like all this backed up lava, <laughs> you know, like you just assume like Maloa, when she goes off, she's going to blow her top. And that hasn't um, happened. So we're very fortunate. Um, I was worried even when the volcanologists and geologists were like, eh, it's slowing down. It looks like it's all self-contained over there. No worries. Um, I was still worried because the birds and the wild boar that were prevalent here had fled. <laughs> like you could hear a pin drop outside. And just in the last couple of days, um, they've come back first, the birds and then the boar are back. So feeling good about that. Uh, cross your fingers, everyone. Um, otherwise it's going to be a long swim. <laughs> if I have to run from this, it's going to be like something out of a Jerry Bruckheimer film, you know, like just ridiculous running from lava, jumping into the ocean and riding a shark on out of here or something. Um, but no, I, I kid we're, we're all good. Um, and it's really interesting too to see how Hawaiians celebrate this. Like, even though if it hits the highway and it keeps going, that's still going to present a problem because it will either go, well, it will follow the highway left or right. It will either go to the Kona side or the Hilo side. You know, you know, odds are the way it is sloped and where it's located, it will go to the Hilo side. And um, because it's paved, you know, it's a lot smoother than just regular terrain. Don't know if it'll make it or not, uh, but it may. And yet. Hawaiians and Hilo are like giddy and nostalgic and love this. And I think that's just fascinating, like fantastic, you know, Um, because it really is like, I don't know if I said this because I I did an hour in doing radio special on Mauna Loa, which is out now, if you want to listen to that. But I also did a thing here on the Wisdom app, and I'm not sure which one I said it on. But it's interesting that, like, for instance, the goddess is Madame Pele. Uh, she's the goddess of volcanoes and earthquakes and fire. And uh, when Pele dances, when Mauna Loa breathes, when there's an eruption, um, the Hawaiian custom is to clean your home, open your windows and your doors, and welcome her in. And uh, where I come from, the custom is to run, <laughs> grab all your stuff and get out, uh, save as much of your crap as you can and run, you know, abandon ship. <laughs> That's where I come from. But, uh, it, it's really interesting because when you think about it, if you live on a, an active volcano, I mean, there are really two things that you can have two sort of psychological, uh, dispositions. One is, that type of acceptance and welcoming and sense of family that is inclusive of a goddess that is inclusive of lava and rock uh, and land and animal, like all is family and all is welcome. Or you have post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Like these things are like, just as a practical sort of uh, way to be on a volcano. These are your options, folks. Um, freak out or acceptance and 
I mean, Hawaiians are just amazing at that level of genuine acceptance, not like faking it because they're secretly scared and they're repressing, but like legit, there's no fear. It's just, you know, you step out of uh, Madame Pele's way and and let her do her thing and that's it. All will be well. My attitude when it was first happening, in fact, you could hear it probably when I, because I think the first thing I did was a wisdom app thing. Um, and then I did the hour and doing thing as just like, a, well, if I die, I just want to let you all know that everything I've ever told you about all this paranormal and spiritual stuff is real. So it would be really psychotic of me to, on my deathbed here, lie to you about that. So I just want you to know that if I've ever been wrong about anything, okay, fine. But my actual experiences are true and you need to know that, especially with the spiritual stuff, that's important because this is what we all are, not just Jer's experiences. Spiritual stuff, especially, is what we all are, and there's no, you know, it's not like the high strangeness, so-called alien abduction type stuff. Uh, that is a mystery in that there's an intelligence kind of punking you and <laughs> leading you down rabbit holes and all. Like the spiritual stuff is very much more straightforward than that, and it is you, and it's what we all are, and we need to figure this out. So, uh, that was where I was at in my head, and kind of freaking out a little bit uh, for the first two days of this eruption. But then I went out on the gazebo and I allowed this Kundalini energy to take over and meditate me. When I say that I meditate, that's all I mean. I don't mean that I do anything. I mean, I just let it do whatever it's going to do. And whatever the gestures are and the movements and the dancing around the gazebo uh, that was taking place, the end result, or at least the one obvious end result for me was that it took away my fear completely. So after day two of this, um, I had no, I, I, t- t- today to right now, I have no fear. Um, and I am at peace with this. Uh, and I welcome it. So I don't know what happened, but I'm glad to not <laughs> be living in complete abject terror and anxiety. Uh, so there's that. And, I mean, it helps that right now it looks as though things are slowing down and it's contained over there. But, you know, this is nature we're talking about, and that can change. So I don't really put 100% stock in that um, because a fissure could blow out anywhere along the volcano and new, new, you know, ball game. All right, that's it. Uh I guess there's, but see, again, you know, I was going to say there's, there's one in the column of uh, pro Kundalini, right? Like there's something good it does, but you can't be tempted by that. You can't listen to what the positive aspects are and say, I want that. And how do I get that? Because that gets in the way. The seeker needs to go. I, I, the seeker is important because you need to care enough, right? To, to want to seek in the first place. But now you're at the point where you meet the person who says, uh, that's it. Beyond this point, you shall not pass. Um, you've got to give yourself up. And not you give yourself up. The brain projecting you has to magically hear this through through your ears, through you listening. Um, and in order for that to happen, it's really important that you are as psychologically fit as possible for the sense of self to dissolve. Because if you're not, then you're not actually hearing what I'm saying. You're hearing what you want to hear. And we all do this, right? 
like when we all meet each other in real life or online, we're meeting each other with our expectations from previous relationships. Um, we project onto other people, whatever we want to project onto them. And that's before they've said hello, right? Like this is just kind of what we do. And that person has to just not be there. And it has to be calm, calmed down enough to, uh, to, um, to be able to hear that dissolve, that this dissolving the self isn't something that you do. It isn't something that you go on a spiritual retreat to figure out or talk to friends and family about. It's like, you have to sit with this and just be stillness, you know, be still being still is important, but being stillness is the stage of mind that exists. Uh, when the brain is not projecting you. So now I see that there is a guest waiting. That's cool. I'm glad you, you all came to hear this, even though I spelled Kundalini wrong. Uh, let me see if I can get this guest up here. Uh, buh, 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 buh. Choose a guest. Okay. How do I do that? Did I do it? Yes. Just join in. Jeremy, how are you? Guest. Are you there? <laughs> I <laughs> am that. here. Are you, you there? Doing? I am yes, good. Yes. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, couple of, well. A couple of things. One, that to ask you, but first, I just have to say on a completely separate note, congratulations on your new governor. Oh, thank you. He's a great guy, and well, I'm so excited for you all. So anyhow, Kundalini, and you were talking about going out um, uh, into the gazebo, uh, and meditating. So what I wanted to ask and get clarification on is with working with Kundalini, am I correct in my assumption that in order to activate Kundalini at any given time, uh, physical or bodily motion is required? Um, is required. Well, the Kundalini, uh, there is, Okay. Working Does it release the with on it? Can you release it through just stillness or is movement? And my experience has always been that movement is necessary to sort of break it all loose on an energetic level. Uh, but is that accurate or can it be done through stillness as well? No. In fact, I, I would say I, I'm not certain what you're talking about. Um, so you'll have to fill me in on that. Okay. But so for me, for, for okay. what I'm talking about, I'll just say that there is, it's just as, at this point, it's literally just, I shut up for a second and it just starts moving around. Okay. Uh, and it's going to do what it does. And if I'm sitting, it'll be different than lying down, than standing up. And it may stand me up, it may sit me down, um, all that. So, and it doesn't even have to move me at all there because there are visionary components to it and all that. But no, I'm not doing anything. Okay, so how how did you get to that point uh, so that you can sort of activate the Kundalini, uh, you know, in a sense at will? It's like we are one, we're fused. I mean, it, it was literally, uh, I was reading books by Jiddu Krishnamurti, and I got to a point where I was using his positive negation of saying like there are certain things in life like beauty, love, joy that you can't say what they are, but if they exist, they will uh, become apparent if you peel away the layers of what they are not. 
Hmm. Okay. Uh, because they aren't comprised of thought. So anything you think about them probably isn't it. <laughs> and so I started actually using that on my own psychology of like peeling away the layers of seeing problems that I have, seeing, you know, why am I a bastard, <laughs> for example, and mm-hmm. like just going back like, okay, because this happened to me. Okay. Because my parents, okay. What do I know about my parents, how they were raised? And what about my grandmother? What about my grandfather? And going back as far as I could. And when I peeled away all of that, I was left with this like stark realization that we're all in this together. There is no end to peeling away because throughout all time, everyone's having these exact same issues, right? We're all screwing each other up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of what we do. And when you have that realization, it's like, oh, my God, like brain self just kind of cracks and moves to heart. And suddenly you're or at least for me, I was more relational and more like in acceptance mode. But then I still realized at some point I realized like, well, wait a minute. But I still whatever. Krishnamurti never says anything about Kundalini. He never says uh, what happens in the absence of self. He just says, figure this out and see what happens. Do it for the sake of doing it, figuring out the self. And so at some point I was sitting there reading his books and I realized like, oh, I get it. I'm the guy who understands this all intellectually. And that's who I am now. That is my self-identity. That's why I haven't been able to get rid of the self because I keep self-identifying. Just I keep moving the ball and identifying in different ways. And when I got that, the brain just shut me off. And in that moment of being shut off, Kundalini rose. And it's uh, been with me ever since. It's been there ever since. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, that that's certainly a different uh, aspect of it than I've ever been aware of. So, so thank you, thank you for for explaining that in such detail and uh, giving me that insight. Um, wow, uh, isn't it weird that just from like reading a book or understanding something? Like, not just your life changes in sort of the, oh, I learned something new way, but like literally you can have like a mutation in your being occur. Yeah. Yeah. That is like, we need to really like examine that more, you know, because at least in the West, we're such a physical society and like, you know, material sciences and all of that. But really, it's like just through the transmission of understanding that can completely change your sense of being. Like, what is that? That's amazing. Yeah, and and I'm and really and truly isn't you know quote unquote understanding um, you know just at the core of everything that you know once we understand something I mean truly legitimately understand it not just have an opinion of it uh, but truly understand it that then we can embrace it for whatever it is uh, and then you know then again let it kind of just do its thing. And in that process, it changes us uh, sometimes in subtle ways and sometimes profound ways. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And, and even like many of the problems that we have in life, if we understood them, if we just sat and unraveled them, the problem goes away. Yeah. Like the, the, the anxiety, the ill will, the, the hating somebody or hating yourself or whatever it mm-hmm. is can be transformed instantaneously, not with years of therapy, just by completely understanding it so that the emotional attachment is just gone because the emotional attachment isn't to 
you know, the incident in question necessarily. It's in the confusion that surrounds it, you know? Exactly. And, and, you know, you agree too that, that, you know, through lack of understanding any given situation, experience, perception, whatever it is, that by not understanding it, uh, we immediately go into fear, uh, you know, because we don't understand it and fear keeps us from exploring it uh, to uncover it, unravel it. And through fear, then that, uh, you know, I think tends to and people build eventually into anger and, you know, acting out towards one another uh, again through fear mode. Do you, do you kind of agree with that? I do agree with that. And and I also think it gets tricky, this sense of fear, because fear can be, well, I think we are fear. I think the self is a fear concept. It's a fear of annihilation is how the, the self sort of comes about. Mm, yeah. And I think that we can actually, uh, much like people who are stay in abusive situations because that's what they know, I think yeah. we sometimes promote our own sense of fear because that's what we know. And so yeah. even though it's not in our best interest, we that's what we know. So we put ourselves in fearful situations and then constantly try to unravel that fear and feel better and better. But we keep giving ourselves new objects of fear to uh, to discover and, and unravel. Um, because it, so I think if you're that type of person, like just see that, like just seeing that you are that and acknowledging that is its own transformation. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, how does one, how does one get to a point where they, they can emerge from fear enough to recognize that they're in fear? Good question. I mean, that to me <laughs> seems to be, yeah, I mean, that to me seems to be prob- a problem for many people is, uh, and, and I think, again, we're seeing it more and more in societies, you know, worldwide that, Fear has taken over so many people to such an extent that, you know, there's so much fear that, you know, that, that there's no way to, you know, th- there's no way to step aside from that and recognize that they are in fear uh, because they're so deep down in it. I mean, you know, it's 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 like anything else. If we get so immersed into something, uh, be it a situation or anything is we become so so deep in it that we don't even recognize that we're there in a sense. And so, you know, the, the, you know so how do we help people to to recognize that and so that they can kind of step back and break out of it? Or is there a way? Is there not I mean, a way? Well, it's getting harder and harder. I mean, we live in a, as you know, we live in a world of distractions and um mm-hmm. and, you know, the media that we generally pay attention to is geared toward selling you fear. Uh, So, you know, how do you reach someone who is immersed in it socially, maybe personally, um, and also doesn't have, I mean, at least in America, you know, we don't really have a cultural context for anything like what we're talking about now. Right. Right. There is no support system for this. There is no, like you have a Kundalini awakening and then, you're greeted by like, you know, some (laughs) masters or something like there is none of that. So Mm -hmm. uh, there's no rites of passage. Um, So it's hard. I mean, it really is an individual thing. I think that's the impossible task is like you, you, 
I guess you can't really quote unquote help society through it. It's got to be one person at a time who just stumbles upon a conversation like this and, and gets interested. I don't yeah, really know of another. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And, 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 you know, with that too, in all sincerity, I want to uh, thank you for, for doing talks like this because uh, you know, and again, one of the great blessings of the, the wisdom platform, but you know, it's having talks like this that people can, you know, anonymously, you know, ta- you know, kind of listen in on, and I'll have to worry about, oh, well, you know, somebody who's going to see me talking, you know, listening to this stuff, whatever. But they, you know, but through these talks, you know, hopefully it sparks something in a person or a group of people that gets them to, you know, take that 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 little bit of a sidestep, you know, out of one reality. Uh, or perceived reality and and is able to look at it. So again, thank you for doing what you do, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, well, thank you. And thanks for for chiming in and uh, coming on and talking with me about this, too. Much appreciated. It's my pleasure. I'm sure we will talk in the future, and I will let you get back to talking about the important things you want to talk about. Okay. Have a great one. Yeah, aloha. Well, that was cool. Thanks for uh, chiming in. And um, uh, I guess just sort of on that note, if anyone else out there is wondering, like, geez, yeah, how do we, you know, you want to do something with this, right? Like you want to, who doesn't want to change the world? Who doesn't want to bring my message to your people kind of thing? Um, but again, I spoke about this on the first or second episode I did of this when I talked about the Krishnamurti stuff, but I guess it bears repeating. For me personally, when I first read Jiddu Krishnamurti, it was antithetical to anything I had ever thought about me, about the sense of self, and all that, and angered me. So, I mean, that's the barrier, one of the barriers to get through in even being able to talk about this stuff is like, is it an affront to you? Does it feel like an assault to be like, listen, all that stuff that you believe, throw it out? Because that's not what this is. That's not what you are. That's all an illusion. Like, for some reason, it's easy for us to see that in movies and read in books and talk about, like, oh, yeah, everything's an illusion. But when somebody starkly calls you on it in the way that uh, he did through his work, um, and maybe, you know, in some other little way I'm doing here, I don't know, um, is it upsetting? It should be because it's against you in some way. So the thing that's important to see is the entirety of what's being said, the entire movement of not just what the speaker is saying, but also how you're reacting to it. Right. So there's like a real nuance here that needs to happen, which is, can you be self-aware in the moment of listening to something like this, of not just what the speaker is saying, but of your own reactions to it? And then question yourself, why am I reacting? Why do I have a reaction? To anything at all, uh, be it positive or negative. In my case, negative. And the only reason I even stuck with it was because I knew that other people who were considered geniuses uh, swore by Krishnamurti. So I thought, like, okay, I've got to be the moron not getting it. So I stuck with it. You know, maybe out of hubris. <laughs> Ironically, out of complete hubris and arrogance. Uh, <laughs> that's what led me to kill my sense of self off. uh you know but how many people are doing that you know like this is the tough question 
And maybe this is the thing of like, if only one or two people, that's enough. Maybe it is enough. I mean, it's got to be for you, right? You've got to be enough for you. And that's really all you can change. So if that sounds important, get to it, I guess. Anyway, um, I appreciate you listening to my giggle ramble here. I'm going to see if I can change that word to kundalini instead of kindalini, although, I don't know. Linguinalini is probably just as good as anything. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm very tired. Thanks for listening. Take care.